Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 92, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. New York City wants to pull meat off the school lunch menu at least one day a week. And who doesn't read books in America? Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, why laughing matters when leading schools. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire Lissa Pruitt. Lissa, how is your spring break going? It's going great. This is exactly what I wanted to be doing on my spring break. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, is that sarcasm that I sense in your voice? No. I think <laughs> you're glad to be spending time. Just we are we are so dedicated with the Class of Smith podcast. We basically churn out shows almost every week of the year. I think we skipped Christmas this past year, maybe. I don't know. I don't think we were allowed to. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So, so thank you for for working on your spring break. Um, we're not going to go ahead. I hope that our listens are up. Like I, I find that I have time more in, over spring break to listen to. The numbers have been pretty you know? good. Yeah, so I would imagine yeah. there's teachers all around over the next few weeks that are having their spring break that are, have a chance to. Because you know, like what teachers want to do after like working so hard is to go to the beach and listen to the Class Dismissed podcast. I'm serious though because. I feel like sometimes when I listen to it, I feel like I'm actually, I know this is going to sound really lonely, but I'm actually like talking to somebody, even though I'm not talking to somebody. Mm -hmm. Like when I hear your interviews, I feel like they, like I am nodding along. like getting to know that person. Well, but also they know, you know, they're in the same field that I am and we experience the same things sometimes. And so it makes you feel like you, I don't know, vented or something. I hear you. No, I like that. I like that. Um, let's go ahead and jump into the uh, teacher's lounge. You're, I know your story, and I am i don't know how I feel about your it's story. It's so crazy. So, okay, we talked about New York City schools um, a while back in 2017. They made free lunch for everyone. I'm yes. sorry, free breakfast and lunch. Yeah, kudos to them. I love everyone, that. everyone, no matter what. There was no more free and reduced lunch. It was It's free for everyone. And the reason was the whole stigma thing. It's like no one has to be the kid that gets the free lunch. Like right. everyone gets it. Right. And yeah. then they also did the summer meals program where if you're under the age of 18 in New York City schools through the summer, you also get breakfast and lunch. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we talked about that, but I know they do that. And then so there's other cities that have followed along like Detroit and Chicago and Dallas um, that also do the these the program that New York started. Well, now they're kicking it up. Same place. <laughs> they're back with meatless Mondays. Okay, so I'm so skeptical about this. Okay, so this affects 1,800 schools in the New York City schools. Is that all of them? or Yeah. Okay. And they are, every Monday, going to serve breakfast and lunch that is meatless. And they say they're doing it for improvements in health Mm -hmm. to reduce um, early diabetes and um, early 
heart disease and cancer and things like that, uh, obesity, but then they're also doing it to reduce the carbon footprint. So, all right. <laughs> like the environmental right. effects of, which I'm going to be honest, I had to go Google it. No, no, no. I'm very like, well aware. Like, like you cut why? back beef. I didn't know that. It's a huge I was deal. like, why if I don't eat meat, is that saving water? Like I didn't understand no, the whole process how it's of, water conservation. But then, and, you know. It's so not if meat though, it's beef. It's not like chicken apparently doesn't have the same carbon footprint as a steak. Right. Well, they, um, they're they just, they're calling it meatless Monday. So, okay. Well, let, let me make sure before I <laughs> go off. Um is a meatless Monday mean you can serve chicken? Like, no, it's no meat. Like, it's vegetarian Monday. I think it's vegetarian. That's right. So that that's what I don't get. Like, I, well, I think that's part of their health where they're bringing in. They want to you can be healthy and eat a piece to, of chicken. I agree. In fact, I think it's. I would argue that it's healthier to eat a piece of chicken. <laughs> you know, like your body needs that protein. Well, they they brought up cancer and hormones and things like that. So I guess they're just kind of trying to keep. Keep it uh, light on Mondays. Just, Organic you know, chicken. Get you some vegetables and fruit. And I don't know. I, I mean, know. it feels a little. All right. I mean, and I like it. we've talked about this. We were supportive of their other policies, but I mean, this feels a little too much. Like when I eat political. Have you ever? Yeah, it does. <laughs> ha, have you ever had um, an Amy's like a little Amy's like TV dinner? Do you know what those are? No. They're very good, but there's no meat in them, right? And like I can't eat one without like heating Being up. Like a, something's missing. Well, yeah. right, so I eat one. <laughs> and I'm like these are great, <laughs> but I have to go like heat up another piece of chicken to put next to it. Yeah, and then I'm complete. Yeah, and I, I worry about a growing teenage boy, 13 years old, having to make it through the day on you know mushed hummus and whatever else it is they're serving. Those growing teenage boys, when when they have a health diagnostic done, that they already are having signs of cholesterol and early uh, indicators for diabetes. Because, so but it's not because of the school lunch. It's they're, not, well, they're saying that one day, changing your diet for one day can cause a huge effect on your health. And that's mm. what they're saying. Right. I'm just... Yeah, I'm I know. Just, you're playing, you're, you're, we're, we're kind of seeing both sides here. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm being good here, doing my part. But I do think it is... I mean, I really... I did not realize... I, I, I know that there are probably people just rolling their eyes at me and maybe I'm just adorable, but I did not realize that that it took that much water. I didn't realize, they say if you reduce four pounds of meat that you eat, that conserves showering for six months well, worth and, of water. And also apparently the, um, the methane gas from cows, mm-hmm. like one cow is like the equivalent, and I'm speaking without looking it up on Google, but it's like the equivalent of a car. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it's two cars. I don't right. know. So it's just like, yeah, anytime you kind of listen to these green environmentalists speak, they're very much like, if you really want to make a difference, right? it's not just, you know, show up with a reusable grocery bag. Just quit eating beef. Just quit eating beef, and it makes right. a huge difference. I, I just didn't. I had to Google it, and I got, you know, into a whole wormhole where I started reading, right. and there are all these different things that were suggested. And I was like, wow, I just didn't, I didn't know. I didn't realize that the amount of land that they take, mm-hmm. um, you know, has kind of taken over some of our wilder growing areas. And I just didn't, I didn't realize all well, of it. But anyway, for, for so I, guess, into it, but. I guess New York, I mean, well, it just to me, I thought, now, wait a minute, why would we do this to children on Mondays, every Monday through the year? For all of these schools and all of these children and employees that count on that lunch program, 
why would we do this in, unless it really is going to make that big of a deal? Maybe it's alliteration. Well. <laughs> Maybe they just like the way Meatless Monday meatless sounds. Monday. Because I would have been fine if they just took away Beefless Monday, but Beefless Monday doesn't have a ring to it. You I know? do love that they did it like that. Like, it's cooler that it, because, I mean, we do Taco Tuesday at our right, house. Right, right, So, I mean, it is cooler that somebody in there, someone making that decision, I, I feel like I visualize him in, like, a too short of a tie, yeah. you know, probably was like, we need to do it on Monday so we can call it Meatless Monday. Like, there's going to be, be so funny. there's going to be a lot of BYOB on Monday. That's bring your own bag lunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they they did a pilot program in Brooklyn and they said that it went great and that there was like no complaints. I wonder if they're going to like try to replace, maybe they had this in the article, are they going to like try to mask the meat? Like, are they going to have like tofu in there? You know, they did not get into like what they're going to do. What it is. Yeah. Yeah, They did not. um, But they did talk about how they already do a local produce. Um, share in yeah. New York to where it's all local, organic, you know, pr- that they, I guess, buy from local producers and that's what they serve the children. Well, that's so, good. That's all so good. So it's all part of And then they talked about how they're changing their lunch trays to, um, you know, environmentally friendly lunch trays. Okay. Well, um, like recycled I mean, this trays, is totally yeah. off the subject too, but I had no idea the, you know, I think, what is it, Europe or that just said no more straws? They're done with straws. Well, California did too. And that's that, just it. When maybe you, it was California. <laughs> well, maybe it was Europe maybe, too. I, don't know. I think I know Europe did it. Yeah. Maybe California just now did it. But they say that that's huge. Right. And and so people do need to realize that when a place like a New York school district makes a change, it has an impact. Like well, they said, said that. It they was said, like, how many schools again? 1,800, you said? Right. And they, and they also said that. They said, right. we know that people look to us for change and right. it worked with our you know, summer meals program and it worked with our free lunch for all program. Yeah. So now we're, we're stepping out for meatless Mondays. It's, it's, I just it's too far. I could next. not, I, I, I like vegetables. I do, but what if they do fasting Fridays. Yeah, no, negative. <laughs> right. Just because of its alliteration. I don't know. Let's move on. I'm still, I feel bad for the, I feel bad for the teenage boys. I feel bad for all the teenagers, not just the boys. I need a taco salad, not just a salad. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the way I feel about it. All right. Well, I've got one for you. Um, interesting uh, study out of uh, Pew Research. Um, they've been tracking who doesn't read books in America. And first, let me define what reading books are. Males. Um, you might be right. You might be right. Um, when we say reading books, it means this, they're asking people, in the past year, did you read a book in whole or in part, whether in print, electronic, or or audio form. There you go, Nick. So they counted there, audio form because you I, are there is your bad. I've read zero books, but I but, but you've read, in the audio. I've read like seven, eight. I, I read always, a James Mishner book. I always believe that if you have listened to an audio book, that is the same as reading a book. You heard every word, word for word. My wife disagrees that with you. that author wrote, <laughs> and so I, you know, I have a lot of dyslexic students that listen to audio books. So I say they read the book. They right. read the book. Well, good because um, <laughs> yeah, the, whenever I do have an audio book, I always kept keep saying to my wife, "I'm like, yeah, I'm reading this book, and let me tell you about it." And I keep saying, "Reading, reading, reading," <laughs> like as I'm going, just to kind of like you know. <laughs> Get her worked up. But anyhow, let's get back to the story. About a quarter of American adults, 24% say they have not read a book in whole or part in the past year. And that's in any of those forms that we were just talking about. That is such a large number. That is a lot. Especially when you factor in even like audio as well. (sighs) That's pretty remarkable. Um, So then they were like, all right, well, who are the non-book readers? And 
we'll start with the um, amongst adults. That's 24% are U.S. adults. And then it says men are 25% of them are men and 22% women say they haven't. So it's really not that far apart right there. But let's go a little further down. Like let's get into more socioeconomic stuff. If you make less than $30,000 a year, it jumps to 36% of not reading books. Okay. If you are somewhere between the thirty dollars and $75,000 range, 18%. So that's a big jump, you know, 36 to 18%. And then if you are making over 75000 a year, 13% say they have not read a book within the past year. Does any of that jump out at you? Does that surprise you in any way? No. I mean, I guess... I, w- I would make the argument sometimes people who are making less are working harder, maybe working more hours, maybe working two jobs. Maybe you're an Uber driver and you wait tables. It's hard to get a book in. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and some people that are making less didn't graduate high school. Therefore, that may you be could true. assume that they were not interested in what a book had to offer. That may be true. And then sometimes people who are making 75 plus, you may have a more regimented life. Mm-hmm. You may have a Monday through Friday, nine to five job. And so you have the weekends and you know you can read. It's when you, whenever I quit reading or, or quit listening to something is when my life's out of whack. But when things settle back down, I get back into Are you the same way? No, I read something all the time. But okay. my mind is never quiet. So yeah. sometimes I find myself reading just because it gives my mind something else to focus on instead of everything else that it you know bing bong ping pongs around in there yeah well <laughs> you you started mentioning the um the schooling so high school or less in terms of education 37 percent, so very high there um it says some college 23 percent, and then college plus so i guess college finished or master's or doctorate you're at um seven so college plus i mean that is 93% of those people say they've read a book within the past year. So, uh, thoughts? No well, surprises? that's me. I'm one of the 93%. So, I, I say, yeah. How do we fix you know. it? Is there, I mean, th- that's what this the study doesn't really offer. Like, you know. I, I'm going to be honest. I can think of wonderful, you know, teachers that I had that really showed me what a book can do for you. Mm-hmm. You cannot just read to learn. If you are taught to read and you're just reading to learn, um, you know, to be able to stay afloat, to be able to get good grades, then you're not going to read after your learning is complete. Even though I feel like we should all be lifelong learners. Mm -hmm. And so some of those people that are above 75,000, they're probably, they're, they're probably, the more driven people that are always saying, how can I get better? Some of the things they're probably reading are things to push them further in their field or industry or to learn something that they haven't learned before. Um, So they view learning as a lifelong process. But I think a lot of students view when they're out of school, great, I never have to do that again. I'm done. I'm done. I don't have to read those books again. Right. And but if you've had an excellent literature teacher at some point, yeah, in your life that really showed you what a book could do for you, right? Uh, how it can either help you in a way, or how it could even just help you escape, you know, your reality. Like that for me, yeah, then I, then, I, then you will continue it to read. It reduces life. stress for me. It does. I don't know. Um, so I learned so much. Like I learned, I did not know that a Glock, I don't know anything about guns. I'm uh, scared of guns, 
But I learned that a Glock is the like the only like I guess handgun or whatever that doesn't have a safety. Didn't know that. I, I learned that, that from I reading didn't. just a, a random novel. But I, but they went into great detail about this Glock that this wife found, you know, out in the Caribbean. It was you know they found a bag of is money. This a James Patterson book. This no, like James this Patterson is book. Something on. Reese Witherspoon's book club, and it was yeah. a great little book, and I think they're making a movie, but anyway, they found like a bag of money out in, on their honeymoon, and it was like this whole big ordeal. Sounds good. So anyway, but they went into such detail, and I was I was telling my son the other day, who, who you know, wants to be in criminal justice, I was like, did you know? <laughs> like, I was telling him about the clock. Yeah. And he was like, Mom, how do you know this? But it was in a book I read. There and that, I did not go to that book at all to learn about guns, but you pick up so much. You pick up vocabulary. Just, it makes you a better writer. It's weird how like oh wow, <laughs> I'm a horrible writer. I just feel like when you like you when you're reading somebody or even listening to somebody mm-hmm. who is eloquent, like I feel like it expands everything for you over time. Yeah, it just helps with in in the education world. We talk about prior knowledge a lot mm-hmm. when we're teaching students. You, you whatever you have to share with them is going to go a hundred percent farther with a child that has prior knowledge on that subject if you're talking to someone about mount rushmore and they have no idea what you're talking about Mm -hmm. and they have no idea the vastness of a mountain you know then some of what you're saying is just lost 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 you know but if they have prior knowledge and they can build on something some experience or whatever before then it's going to be retained that information is going to be retained but it's also going to be more meaningful um and then they're, and it's going to build curiosity for them to take whatever they learned further. So I think if you have a strong literature teacher, and so, and sadly some people have made it through their schooling years, and and Not usually that's idea. those yucky middle school years, mm-hmm. um, and they just didn't have one that really sparked their interest. So therefore, I think they don't become lifelong readers. Yeah, all true. Are you ready for the uh, bright idea? Yeah, we're talking about how to use humor in leadership within the school system. Why it's important. Our guests in today's Bright Idea segment are two gentlemen who recently had their work featured on the National Association of Independent Schools website. Ole Jorgensen is the head of school at Almaden Country Day School in San Jose, and Duncan Lyon is the head of school at the Cary School in San Mateo, California. Together, they conducted surveys and interviews to determine why laughing matters in leadership. Gentlemen, welcome to Class Dismissed. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. I I love this topic because I've I've held leadership positions before, and and I feel like this is something that is overlooked. What what made you two decide to to dive into to humor and making people laugh? (laughs) I guess I could start. So, uh, Nick, I had uh, an idea a while back to have at opening faculty meetings to pass out a folder that said the funny files on it. And it was a blank folder. And I just passed it out to every faculty member when I started my headship here eight years ago. And I said, when funny things happen throughout the year, just put them in this folder. And then every once in a while, we'll have a faculty meeting in February or March. And we'll pull them out. And and we'll just uh, laugh our heads off at all the craziness that happens in schools that sustains us and keeps us going. Um, so that's been our practice. We call it the funny files. And in conversations with some other educators, they said, hey, that seems like a neat idea. You know, we always borrow techniques from one another. 
So this is one that seemed to have some traction. And that led Ole and I into a conversation about uh, the dimensions of this and how everybody in schools seem to value laughter, um, but nobody really understands exactly how the thing works. So we thought to just explore it a little bit more. Okay, so the funny file, you passed that out. Did it, was it adapted the way you thought it would be? Actually, yes. I mean, not everybody uh, fills it up to the extent that I do. Uh, my, mine is on my desk right now as, as we're conducting this interview. And it goes back actually uh, for, for, for years, actually a couple decades now for me. And it just take, it connects me back to those moments former students, former colleagues, former families. And uh, it just brings a smile on my face. You know, Steve Kerr, uh, the, the basketball coach, he talks about trying to find joy uh, in, in leadership. And this helps me find joy whenever I reach for this file. And so I think there are some other devotees on our, on our faculty who actually use the file that way. And it, it does work in meetings as well. We, uh, we, we do have a good time whenever we have a funny file segment so um oli duncan says all right let's let's dive into this i I guess you guys must be friends or uh, you must know each other somehow and then it's kind of like all right so how are we gonna do this are we gonna you know like what was the process of trying to research humor yeah i mean we are we're friends and uh, colleagues our schools are not um they're not in close proximity so we we don't compete for for students um otherwise there's no way i'd i'd cooperate with them Um, (laughs) but but we no just kidding but we, uh, you know, when, when Duncan called me with his idea, I just thought it was brilliant because nobody's, at least nobody in the independent school orbit um, has been thinking or talking about this. And I thought, wow, Duncan, that's a, that's a really great idea. And I'm a, I'm a huge believer in the power of humor. And like Duncan, I start every meeting, every faculty meeting with some, something humorous because, you know, you, no matter what, um, usually these meetings happen at the end of the day. People are tired. Um, not everybody likes meetings, you know, for whatever the reason, um, starting with, a, with laughter just lightens everything. And it, and it, even if you've got a really serious topic, it's a great way to lead into it. So we just, we decided to, uh, split it up. Uh, Duncan, uh, wrote a, a draft of the, uh, what became the article. And, um, I looked at it and I thought, well, here's a couple of things that, you know, from a, just pure research on the, the the role of humor and sort of the neurobiology of humor and ways in which it can contribute to leadership. So I took that on as as my contribution, uh, and then we sort of grafted our two our two parts together and um, had some did a little work on on editing and and then we we had this piece that we submitted and weren't sure if it was uh, we actually got turned down uh, at a, for a conference, uh, with this topic. And so we weren't sure where it was going to go. Why do you think you got turned down? It seems like this is something that should be discussed. No, they just didn't have a sense of humor, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Nick, I will say that the, the response when we put out surveys, uh, through CIS and NAS was really heartwarming. Uh, I remember one response from a school head who said, your survey just makes me happy. <laughs> the fact that someone's looking into this. Uh, Duncan, you mentioned the survey. So what type of questions were in it when you sent it out? Well, I think the subject was something like got humor. Uh, and we then asked folks to the ways in which they intentionally or unintentionally use humor in 
their schools and in their leadership practice? And were there areas that they uh, thought that should be explored more that, that that haven't been and what have you? So it was it was fairly open ended because we wanted to get see what we get back and you know if people had examples uh, of of humor, uh, we we really encouraged that and. Uh, so anyway, the response was very healthy, and I think it it, it certainly gave Ole and I an idea that this was this was a, a topic that uh, that resonated with leaders. Well, and I would love to hear what you guys think are some tips for for somebody who is in a leadership role, but they this is an uncomfortable area for them. They they feel like they're not funny. Um, they don't know where to start. And, and maybe I, if I heard you right, Ole, about the the self deprecating humor, that might be a good way to go. Are there others? Oh, yeah. I mean, we have a section in the article, um, Nick, that's um, how to be funny even if you're not, um, which I think is funny in itself. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, Duncan's right that, uh, you know, you don't want it to be forced. Can I just read it before I do look at the tips? Can I just read? Duncan has this line that he wrote. Yeah, please. That I really, really like in this um, article that speaks to what he just said. Can I just read this real quick? Sure. It's a sentence. He said, Duncan wrote, humor like fire has a fragility and a power to it. It can be enjoyed and then extinguished quickly or be used proverbially to, proverbially to burn down a building. So, so if I'm hearing you right, I interpret that fragility as if you have to be a little careful with the humor. You don't want it to become a, mm. an HR issue. You don't want to go too far. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to be mindful, you know, and again, that's like Duncan said, you know, the, um, you have to be, uh, if you, if you force it, 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 it can't work. We, I mean, in the article, Duncan, uh, I think he termed, he termed it the thing of humor. You know, it, it humor finds you. Um, when you go after it, it can sometimes not work. I, I start the faculty meeting sometimes with a silly video that I find, you know, like, um, like some, some nine-year-old kid gives me a video and I put, I put it up in front of the faculty and, or, you know, or other ones. Sometimes I find them myself. And there's a couple of times when I didn't have anything and it was right before the meeting and I grabbed a video and I, showed it to the faculty and it bombed like the one, like there's this one of a, a hippopotamus farting for like 45 <laughs> seconds. And you know, it's somebody's home video. And I thought that was really funny, but, 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 but it didn't work. So, I mean, that's the thing of humor. It, it finds you, but if you, you know, how to be funny when maybe you're not funny, it does, you don't have to, it's not whether you're funny. We write, it's what kind of funny you are. You right. know, just, I got to ask though, you, you say the hippo didn't work. So you played this video of like 45 seconds of a hippopotamus <laughs> farting and it was like a quiet room. Like what happened there? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just sort of, uh, um, uh, so my, my faculty is pretty expressive and, um, you know, I work in a world where there, I, there are, there are like four men on campus and 60 women. And so I, um, I have to be mindful of, of ways in which, uh, you know, there are, there's sort of gendered humor too. And we have to recognize that and, and, and be thoughtful about that. And that particular, that my, my teachers will clap, um, after my videos, uh, <laughs> generally. And, um, there, there wasn't any clapping that day. So <laughs> that, we just moved on. Wow. Well, um, so yeah, not, it's not whether you're funny, Duncan, you know, the tips that from the humor code. Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm just looking at those. You want to, you want to, well, I, th I, I think it does speak to this whole idea of, of humor IQ. And it, and I think the point is you don't have to be the funniest person in the room, but again, you just have to, you have to be yourself. There's an aspect of, you know, we're all distinctive by our fingerprints, right? So 
be, be funny in the way that is your unique fingerprint. And so, for some people that might be, you know, wry timing. For others, it might be, you know, a certain creativity they bring with, with videos um, that may have been poorly chosen. <laughs> <laughs> but but, what, but one, one, of the, one of the things is, is this difference between like aha funny and haha funny, right? So haha funny is sort of comedy, stand-up comedy, all that. Aha funny is more cleverness, right? Right. It's, 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 there's a, and so sometimes that's just enough to show people that, Hey, you do have a sense for humor and a sense of humor. Another little tip that uh, one had shared with us was this, this idea of kind of counter programming when things are heavy, go light. Uh, and, and there's an art to that too, I'm sure. Um, but again, the various ways in which you can do this, I had, we had a faculty meeting where, uh, our, our receptionist was, was a little frustrated because she has a copier right near her, uh, her station and, and it, it's sort of central station. Everybody's kind of passing through there and the amount of copies that get left behind or people send things to the printer and they don't pick them up. And so she said, what do we do about this? Right. And so I just brought them to a faculty meeting and I just started passing them out to people. <laughs> you know, Julie, here's your taxes. And talk about fragility. I mean, it was something where I think I, I couldn't have done that in my first year. Maybe people would have thought, uh, you know, who's this guy. Right. Uh, but, but once I had established a level of trust and we had done this sort of funny file thing, um, it is a gear that I can use as as a leader. Could I put you on the spot real quick, Duncan? And you might even need a sure. second, but could you grab that file and just like grab find something in it that so people kind of understand the type of stuff that's going in it and, and tell us what uh, it says? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Here's um, it has to be like PG rated, Duncan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's true. Uh, so, so we have a teacher who uh, wonderful teacher, just kind of institution and. She w- had this gift for malprops and, and in, in speaking that never in her writing, but in, in, in verbally, she would somehow, and I think we all do this, she would just sort of mix up her metaphors sometimes. And, you know, so I started writing these down because there were, they were, there were so many of them. And I thought, I just got to capture this. And so one time she said, um, it's just a little blimp in the road. <laughs> yeah, so things like that I write down. Here's a, here's a note from a student. Here's a note from a student that said, uh, thank you for the, this is from one student to another. Thank you for the gift card to Books, Inc. I really appreciate it. I'm very excited to use this gift card. I won't be regifting it. <laughs> <laughs> like, only from kids. Right. Here, Here's another one from, uh, these are uh, haiku poetry right. regarding Microsoft errors. Um, yesterday it worked. Today it is not working. Windows is like that. It's <laughs> good. Uh, uh, anyways, so yes, there's some of these that are, are probably not fit for, uh, fit for uh, a podcast. Um, but anyway, it gives you some sample of just, if it makes you laugh, if, if it's going to resurrect joy in you put it in the file and uh, i'll tell you one quick story is in in here i have a note from a former student when i worked at the dalton school in new york city and and one day this i came to my dean of students and i came to my office and there was a goldfish a live goldfish in a plastic baggie 
in a little bit of water on my door and it said, Mr. Lion, please save this fish. <laughs> you see something new every day you come to school. Uh, so I found a fish bowl, put the goldfish in, in there. And, I, and one of my advisees said, hey, did you get that fish I left for you? And I said, yes, I did. Tell me about this. And he told me that somebody in the school had brought their goldfish to school because their parents wanted to get rid of it and they tried to flush it down the toilet oh, wow. and it didn't work. And this student happened to come in the stall next and he rescued it. Wow. So actually that water was toilet water. So we, we had to like clean the tank and all this anyway. So I left the school, came out to California and every time I went back to visit Dalton, I would go visit the fish and they, they got a bigger and bigger tank for it. <laughs> and, and so this fish really took on a story of its own. And so uh, just uh, a few weeks ago, this student is now applying for uh, Bolt Law School. And wow. he, he uh, said, hey, can we go out to dinner? Uh, and I said, sure, uh, but, but we're not going to eat fish. <laughs> <laughs> no seafood. Uh, so it's those kinds of things, right? Where there's this, this enduring aspect to humor. Um, you know, you guys mentioned... Um, pranks and, and you even like show an example. I think maybe somebody you surveyed or somebody wanted to to yes. tell a story about a prank. Like, kind of give me the you know the thirty thousand foot view of pranks. Are, are they a good thing, bad thing? Do you encourage them? Not. What do you think, Ole? Yeah, I mean, I'm. I confess that I love to do pranks, and my uh, senior admin team uh, uh, sort of ri are ritual pranksters, but. But only in our only in our group because we're not sure that that would fly with the faculty. I think it just you know humor. You have to be uh, mindful about it. I guess um, I don't always have the best discretion, but um, ultimately the goal is you know in the end for me anyway. The reason I was so excited about this project, um, you know, whether you're showing videos or doing the funny files or or doing pranks, um, your your goal is to try to like um, you know. Um, Schools run on energy and affection and uh, aloha and love and um, and you have to somehow optimize that right there was a there was a book in the 1990s uh, I don't remember it very well, but the title has always stuck with me and it's you know feed the teachers or they eat the children <laughs> right which is I mean that's hyperbole, but it makes sense if you if you can make school a joyful place if you can you know whether that's um, pranks or silly videos or or the funny files or whatever. If you can if you contribute to a a working and learning environment that is um, that is happy and joyful, then the teachers are going to give that much more in the classroom to the children. They're going to model, that, yeah, yeah, right. So I mean, it just it just it lifts all boats, and we I think humor is just central to that. That's why I was so excited to work with Duncan on this project. Uh, and yeah, we do pranks. Yep, you want some details? I can well, the other thing I was just going to say quickly on pranks is that <laughs> I, I think with like with all humor, if if there is a a target if that is is a victim of a prank or or a joke or what have you, ultimately nobody feels good about that. I mean, sometimes right. people and we talk to kids about this. Mm -hmm. um, now, we when I was at, in New York, we had the chance to bring in John Cleese um, to speak to uh, the high school students and. Uh, he got there an hour early. So I had the wonderful opportunity to hang out with John Cleese for an hour. And he said, well, what, what do you really want to get across to these kids? And I said, well, can you try and explain humor and, and how it works? And you know, actually a little bit, maybe an antecedent for this article. 
And he did a wonderful job of it because part of what he explained to the students was if everybody's in on the joke, if it's inclusive, then people want more of that. He said, don't mistake laughter for humor. He said, laughter, sometimes it can be a reaction people have because they're uncomfortable. Right. Um, so if there's a target. So I think when, when to, to the prank idea, you have to be very careful. And that's, I think, why we stress in the article this idea about self-deprecation, because there is a leveling effect to self-deprecation, particularly as, as a head of school or as a school administrator. Um, it does bring out the humanity of everybody. Um, so I will just say this, that my staff pranks me on my birthday every year. <laughs> um, and it, it takes different forms. And I appreciate that because it does say something about uh, our culture. I feel that we must have achieved something here if they feel comfortable where they can prank me and they know that I can, I can take a joke. So while I don't appreciate having confetti quite literally all Everywhere. over my office, yeah where I'm still finding it. It could be glitter. Yeah, right, right. I, I really appreciate the spirit behind it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, and it seems like self-deprecating is maybe a safe way. If you're going to wade into the water with hum- humor and you don't know how funny you are, if you're, if you're being self-deprecating, it's it, you don't have to worry about the targets you, essentially, right? Is that the way you guys interpret that? Right. There was a head of, I don't think it made the article, um, but th- there was a head of school who in California who uh, they, the, the CIS heads have a wonderful tradition of um, a retiring uh, dinner in, in Santa Barbara at the end of the school year. And this, this head of school got up there um, to an audience that just really appreciates her and knows her. And after a 30 year career, and she said, I worked my ass off in this job. Unfortunately, not literally. <laughs> and, you know, there, there's something about it. Again, that gets about this whole fingerprint idea, right? right? Where she, if you know her, she executed that in, in such a singular way that was so distinctive to her. You know, if I said that, it wouldn't have been as funny, right? It wouldn't work. It would feel forced and all that. So, um, but there, there very much is an equalizing aspect of it when it's done right. I really have enjoyed this conversation. I think this is a topic that does need to happen. And hopefully folks listening, you know, are, are you know, thinking about this. And so when they go back to their their leadership role, no matter how large or, or small that is, that they're thinking this is a way I can, you know, lighten the room up a little bit and, and maybe um, increase the, the culture and improve the culture. Um, so I really appreciate you guys taking the time. Is there um, a way to if somebody wants to follow you or just things that are going on in your school, are, are you guys on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that? LinkedIn for me, for Oli. Uh, yeah, I think we're, we're both on LinkedIn. Our schools have, have uh, you know, Twitter and, and Facebook, but uh, uh, always happy to, to use old fashioned email and, and, and the phone conversation is, is great as well. Okay. Well, I'll link also some of that to the, uh, the article on our website. If anybody wants to, to follow up with you guys or share the survey or learn more about the, uh, the funny file that you, uh, have Duncan. So again, I appreciate y'all's time. Are are you ready for the pop quiz? Sure. Hope so. All right. First question. If students could go to school for only one subject, which subject should it be? Recess. That's an unusual one. I would say... You're going to have to back up recess. I'm not joking. There's so much they learn at recess. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm an historian by training, so I would say uh, integrated history. What, what? Do you, when you say integrated history, what do you mean? I mean a, an interdisciplinary history course, mm. a course that's it's not sort of straight 
diplomatic history or uh, history of, of, of white men or something, but rather uh, a course that is interdisciplinary in terms of science, in terms of philosophy, in terms of literature. Um, so using historical framework, but really having it be have multi disciplines informing it. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? I'd say K-12 media literacy. I think media literacy happens in pockets here and there, but I think very early ages and, and facts matter uh, in, this, in this day and age, I think we need to educate uh, young people all the way through K-12 about the importance of, of how to consume and actually produce uh, media and digital content. Mm -hmm. We're working on a course called Life Economics, which is um, putting kids in a position of, of, and this is older students, uh, middle school kids, uh, putting them in a position of um, you know, doing some of the things that they're, they're not getting exposed to anymore, you know, how to balance a checkbook and plan a vacation or plan a wedding and see what, what that entails. Yes, I'm already saving for my wedding, uh, my three-year-old's wedding. And, <laughs> and I, I'd say that I'm, I'm dead serious. Like I actually have an account where we're trying to put money away some 20 years down the road. Um, let's see. Yep. Uh, what does every child deserve? A parent who saves for their wedding. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> humor yes that's yes, good uh, yeah. i would say uh habits of independence uh sleep hygiene wellness cognition sociability uh, whatever we can do as parents and educators to build habits of independence i think that's what every child deserves that's a great answer I, the research is really clear nick on um on the assets there's a uh, you know a series of 40 assets that uh that children need, you know, say 15 of to be healthy and whole. And the most important one is uh, to have one dependable adult who loves and cares for them. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Hmm. Uh, I, I would say being heard amid the landscape of distraction that there's, there's, we're saturated with media and pop culture. And I think the role of educators has changed in our society to the point where we, we really have to compete. We have to have Twitter handles. We have to get creative to get our message out. Uh, I think we know what to say actually, but, but being heard is, is a challenge. Oh, I think it's um, the challenge that we've faced for 200 years in America. And that is the, um, the professionalization of teaching to, until teachers are recognized as uh, as professionals uh, in the same way that uh, people in fields like law and medicine engineering are uh, it's going to be difficult for them to achieve any of their other objectives from salary and compensation to having a greater voice in uh, curriculum instruction what's the best gift to give an educator the month of July <laughs> <laughs> You're on a roll, man. Uh, all right, so I'll take the literal uh, answer. Um, we've actually made the shift here uh, to um, having the children give, rather than you know gift cards and so on, what the teachers really want at my school is um, sort of these handmade cards that the kids write in. And 
that sort of thing, artwork from the children, something that is a genuine reflection of the impact that they're having on on the children they teach. That, that's, that means the world. That's funny you say that. I actually got in touch with uh, my sixth, fifth grade teacher on Facebook about a year ago, and she wow. had something that I gave her, Yeah, you know, and yep. I'm sure if it, I just gave her, you know, something that was materialistic she probably wouldn't have had it anymore so I, I how did that how did that make you feel nick what oh it was awesome it, it was really neat like i mean that's she remembered me and i can't even remember what it was i'd have to go back and look at the facebook uh post that, or message we had but yeah it was really cool to think that like i was one of hundreds if not thousands of students and yeah she still had that and she remembered me and it was, connected those it was an together. artifact of the relationship right yeah, yeah. exactly awesome yeah. well said um which teacher changed your life I had two. I had a teacher, Sudi Sides, in high school who always told me I would be a good teacher. And she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And lo and behold, I, after graduating from college, I did go back to teach alongside of her. Um, so that's one. And the other is the late Pearl Kane wow. um, at yeah. Um She She really, I think, set my sights much higher than I was setting for myself. And she brought things out of me. I didn't know I had. Uh, Oli, did I hear, do you, did you know that teacher as well? Did I? Oh yeah. She's, she's on my list too. The first time I met Pearl Kane, I was a brand new head of school and uh, we were in a conference of about 35 heads of school. And I said something that I thought was really clever and, you know, provocative and actually was actually, um, uh, false. And <laughs> I mean, not, not actually factually provable or, Anyway, it was it was pretty pretty stupid in in retrospect. But Pearl um, is about was about four feet eight inches tall, and she um, she pretty much leveled me uh, with a uh, showing me in, in a patient kind voice how wrong I was. And um, I sat down in the chair, and a couple minutes later, the conversation continued, and I looked across at Pearl, and she smiled at me and winked, and that began our relationship. She was uh, one of the best teachers I've. I've ever known. And we, we just lost Pearl and it's, it's a, a huge impact on, on our community, on the whole education community. That's, that's pretty amazing though, that, you know, here I have two teachers, two educators that, uh, you know, were impacted by the same person. That's, that's yeah. not that common, I, I would guess. Yeah. Well, she was at Teachers College Columbia and she founded the, the Klingenstein Center. So there's many of us who gotcha. uh, feel the same way. So. Yep. Excellent. Uh, Oli, anyone else on that list? You said she was on the list. Oh, yeah. No, I also had a couple of things, Nick. Um, when I, without going into a lot of detail, I wasn't, um, I wasn't, uh, I don't tell my students this either. I hope they don't hear this podcast. I wasn't a very good student. I was, I was uh, more interested in uh, humor than I was um, studying. And so I had a teacher in sixth grade who saw that I had, was capable of more than I was, uh, more, more than I was doing. And uh, his name was, uh, Mr. Chapel. He was, he was, I seemed like 10 feet tall and a really old guy at the time. And he'd sneak up behind me when I was blabbing away uh, and he'd whack me on the head with his spoon ring. And I think I, <laughs> I probably, when I die, I'm going to get exhumed and they're going to think I died of a head injury because I've still got all these welts in my skull. But anyway, that wasn't, that wasn't the only thing he did. He, um, I mean, that was acceptable because I'm old and in those days you could do that. Um, but he, he cared about me and he, he, uh, put together a set of expectations with my mom that, that turned me around. When I went back to thank him when I got into college, with much to the surprise of the the secretary at that school uh, who remembered me, um, he had passed away. And so one of the things that I uh, made sure of from that point onward was that I would um, 
be certain that the people around me who I appreciated uh, and loved would know it. So to this day, I am constantly writing thank you notes and expressing gratitude to people, and、um, I owe that to him. But but he he definitely changed my life and turned it around by showing me what I was capable of doing, much like what Duncan said. Last question: pen or pencil? Pen. I do. I do. New York Times crossword and pen. Oh wow! Not always successfully. That's tough. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I can only really get through Tuesday, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs>、um, I'll take it up a notch. So for me, it's a permanent marker. Oh wow! Because I'm left-handed, and I just got sick of smudging、uh, everything that I write. Thank you guys so much for for the conversation. Thanks for the opportunity, Nick. Well, thank you for the great podcast and the service you're providing to educators. Yeah, this is, this is wonderful. And if people want to reach out and, and advance our our thinking, we'd love to hear from from folks. Excellent. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast dot com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook dot com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter. Just search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lisa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ward. Go and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.